Well, church, uh, last week, Pastor Mike was here and he preached uh, one of the most famous stories in the book of John, John chapter 11, and he ended in verse number 12 of chapter 12. But the story about this guy named Lazarus, if you remember, and uh, this guy named Lazarus, he's dead. And uh, Mike even told us, like some versions of the Bible said that like he, st- he stinketh or something like that. It was really weird. Anyways, but he just said it to say, hey, we knew that he was dead. And, uh, and what happens? People are in mourning, right? They're, they're at the tomb of Lazarus. They're in mourning. Jesus shows up. And what does he do? He calls out to Lazarus, and he says, Lazarus, come forth. And he comes forth, right? Incredible. This dude that was dead uh, is given life again, right? And so after that, if you remember, they go to uh, Simon the leper's house that is in Bethany, and they go there for a feast. Uh, they're there. Jesus is there with his disciples, some others. He's there with Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. And, and Martha, the brother uh, of, or I'm sorry, the sister of Lazarus, uh, takes that ointment, right, gets her knees and, and, and uses that and shows that as an act of worship to Jesus. And she anoints his feet. And, uh, you know, Judas is questioning why he would spend that money, why she would spend the money on that stuff. It could be given to the poor. Anyways, all that. We talked about that last week. And so that's kind of what we're going to pick up today. We'll be in, if you're in your Bibles, your phones, whatever, you can follow on the screens. We'll be in John 12, verse 12. We're going to end in verse number 37. Um, now, Jesus, he's going to head from Bethany to Jerusalem. Now, that's a key thing, okay? So he's going to head from, from Bethany to Jerusalem after this feast. And what he's going to Jerusalem for, it's really his purpose. He's going to Jerusalem to go die on the cross for our sins. And so that's where we kind of pick up, and we're going we're gonna to see this thing, and it's interesting um, a lot of Bibles and even on your, if you have like the Bible app on your phone, it says like that this is the triumphal entry of Jesus. And you can look at that, but it's verse number 12 and on. And uh, it says it's this triumphal entry or also known as Palm Sunday. Sometimes they say that. But, but here's the deal. With it being his triumphal entry, now yes, we know what he's going to go to the cross. He's going to accomplish awesome good stuff. But the crowd that's with him, they have a different idea, okay, uh, of what this Jesus, what this King Jesus is and what he's going to do and what he's about. And so I think that it's a little misleading. We've got we to kind of see what's going on here in the text. And so that's what our plan is this morning. Um, now, I don't know if you've ever been to a church before that on Palm Sunday, which, by the way, again, this is the Sunday of Passover week. It's Palm Sunday that we're going to be looking at. Um, but on Palm Sunday, there's some churches that uh, as you come in, like the main entrance to the church, they actually like hand you a, uh, a palm branch or a palm leaf. I don't know if you guys know what I'm talking about or not, if you've been to church like that. Um, so I remember the first, uh, the only actually uh, like Catholic service I ever went to long, long, long time ago. Um, I was there on Palm Sunday and they handed me one of those things and I was like, what the heck is this about? Like, I didn't know what was going on. They were like waving them around and stuff like that. Um, kind of weird, especially knowing what we're going to talk about today. I find it very odd that churches would even do this because this crowd, they're not on the same page with Jesus. They're not on the same page at all with what his purpose is. And so that's what we're going to be looking at this morning. Now, the story of Palm Sunday, Triumphal Entry, it's one that's unique for this. It is one of really few of different stories of life at Jesus that are in all four accounts of the gospel. So they're in Matthew, it's in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. So it's in all four of them. Um, now, I mean, you've probably heard said this before, but if God says something once, it's a big deal. If he says something twice, 
Really big deal. If he says it three times, it's huge. But now we have something from the life of Jesus that is in each gospel, four different times, the same event. And here's the deal. This isn't by accident. Um, I believe the reason why is because the significance of this week that we're going to talk about, the Passover week and the key event that's going to come at the end. Now, to help us understand this, what I'm going to do, to help us understand Palm Sunday, the Passover, all this stuff, that's what I'm going to do, okay? We're going to kind of go back and we're going to talk about some history and set the context. So here's the deal. If you like history, you're going to love the next few minutes. It's not going to be that long. It's going to be like five minutes. But for those of you that do not like history, you can go get a cup of coffee, sit back, enjoy it, okay, because you're going to get it, all right? And I think that we have to set the scene a little bit here. So the day of the text that we're looking at, John 12, 12 to 37, it is the 10th day of the Hebrew month, Nisan. Now, on our calendars, that would fall on April 6, 32 AD. Now, see, that is important because the Jewish people did something very Every year we do something very interesting on this day. They would go and they would select out a lamb from their flock that was from someone else's flock even, but that was spotless, had no issues, had no abnormalities, that had no deformities, anything. It was, it, was, it was just perfect, perfectly clean. And what they would do with that lamb was they would take it, they would actually select it, they would bring it into the home, and then they would spend a couple days just looking it over, taking care of it, making sure that it was fine and there was no issues with it. Ultimately to end in a cruel death, and to be sacrificed in the temple by a priest. Now, the Passover, if you're wondering what that was, the Passover was just this. It was a Jewish festival that celebrated the exodus from Egypt, and exodus, uh, the exit from being under the bondage of, of Pharaoh and the Egyptians. And so this was a time that to the Jewish people, man, they looked forward to this. This was huge. And they would go back and they would, they would, they would remind themselves, hey, God, what you brought us from this is incredible. And so again, that precious little lamb would go and would be sacrificed. According to uh, Jewish law, these lambs, again, that, that were sacrificed, they, they could have no issues with them. They had to be perfect, and they were selected by that specific family. Now, that is key to what we're going to talk about today. Think about this. Jesus on this same day that they, they don't sacrifice him on this Sunday, they select the lamb out. On this same day, Jesus, the lamb of God, does what? He's going to Jerusalem where he's going to die on the cross for our sins. He's going to go and, you know, he's been telling them, I'm your savior. And he's going to go sacrifice himself on this 10th day of the month of Nisan. He's going to show that he is the deliverer and he's going to come. He's going to go in and he's going to be inspected as to say by the people, and what's going to happen? They're going to reject him. They're going to reject him. See, the Passover feast, it was one of the three mandatory feasts for the Jewish people. It was one of the three that they were required, really, to go to. Now, the city is filled with people, okay? Uh, people from Galilee, even, we're going to see even as far as Greece, there's a few guys that come in, they question, they want to talk to Jesus, they want to see him. But there's people from all over that part of the world, and they're coming in. Now, according to Josephus, which I know, crazy name, but this guy was a uh, Jewish historian back then, okay? And according to Josephus, he says this. He says, at the time of the Passover, back, back then, the temple altar 
would, they would sacrifice around 256,000 lambs on that altar. Okay, that's, that's a lot of lambs. Pretty sad. But here's the deal. It's important because of this. It tells us some things about really how many people were in Jerusalem at this time. According to Jewish law, you would average one lamb for 10 people, which was the size of a normal family back then, which is absolutely crazy that a parent would have eight kids, but regardless, whatever. But they would bring in that lamb, and it could cover essentially, essentially and be sacrificed for these 10 people. Now, here's the deal. If that is true, that means this. Do a little math. We play a safe number here, right? If that's true, that means this. Two and a half million people would have come and traveled to Jerusalem. Now, I don't think, like, that number is so astronomical. It's hard for us to, to think about. So it would be like something, at, I, you know, I'm just thinking off the top of my head, something like grabbing Cleveland and Columbus, Columbus and throwing them in a, a town that's the size of Tiffin. I mean, think about it. That would be insane, right? I'm talking millions of people in Tiffin. Um, you know, back then there's no Comfort Inn, right? There's no Wyndham. Um, you know, there's not even a Motel 6, which is pretty bad, okay? I mean, people probably would have stayed there if they could have, right? I mean, there's nowhere for them. So here's the deal. They're passed out on the streets. Families are. Uh, strangers would even open up their homes and let them stay on the floors, wherever, in the rooms. Um, they'd be on the Mount of Olives, passed out in fields, just all over the place. And, and here's the deal. I set all that, I set that context to talk about chapter 12 of John in verse number 12 and on. You see, what we're going to look at today will be the end of Jesus' public ministry. So just let's just think about this. This is going to be the last few words that he shares with people in public. Everything else is going to go to like a private conversations and private ministry of Jesus from here on out. He'll be with the disciples and different things like that. But his public ministry, it, it kind of like it ends here, right? And so I'm just thinking, man, whatever he says next, it's a big deal. I mean, this is going to be the last public thing he says, probably... A big deal. And so, really, that's where, that's where we pick up. So, all right, verse number 12 and 13, it says this. The next day, so the day after this feast at Simon the leper's house, okay, uh, when the large crowd that had come to the festival, they heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem, they took palm branches and they went out to meet him. And they kept shouting, ready? What did they say to Jesus? This crowd's gathered. Men's crowded before me. He's coming to Jerusalem. What did they say? Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. The king of Israel. Now, I want you guys, I want to go back over this last part here because I want you guys to get this, okay? What do they say? Hosanna. We'll look at what that word means a little bit because we don't say Hosanna anymore, all right? Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And then they, they put this in, the king of Israel. You see, wherever Jesus went at this point in his ministry, crowds are following him, right? I mean, he's raised a dead dude from the grave. I mean, he's done all kinds of miracles, cast out demons. And here the crowds have grown, and it's interesting what they do. They gather these palm branches, which the palm tree is like the sign of, you know, national sign of, you know, Jerusalem or of their freedom. In fact, it's on some inscriptions. And so they grab these palm branches and these palm leaves, and they're bringing them to Jesus and waving them in the air. Other versions or other uh, patches of the Bible even say they throw down their coats, right, for Jesus to walk in on. And they say something interesting. They say, Hosanna, which means this. And we're going to apply this, this later, but it means this. Save us now. Save us now. You see, then they quote a famous worship psalm that was 
sung by, by them during most of the festivals. And it's, it's out of Psalms 118 for 25 and 26. It's, it's pretty simple and short, but it says this, Lord, save us. Lord, please grant us success. He who comes in the name of the Lord is blessed. From the house of the Lord, we bless you. Psalms 118, again, it's a psalm of victory over their enemies, and they're praising God for that. But everything seems good. If I'm being completely honest, now look at this. Okay, everything seems fine, right? They're praising God for who he is, for what he's done. He's from the house of the Lord. Or he's, you know, he's coming, and, and they're looking forward to this. And everything seems, if I, if I had to guess, looking this, again, outside in, it seems like they're ready to worship Jesus, and they're worshiping him. But based off of what they say fully, it's not necessarily the truth. You see, what they say is exactly what Psalms 118 says. They say, yes, bless Jesus who comes in the name of the Lord. But then they add something, the king of Israel. You see, they're waving their palm branches. Uh, I talked about how earlier there's, I think it's Matthew says they throw their coats down. Um, and they're, they're worshiping, praying Jesus when he comes in. But Matthew 21.10 tells us that as Jesus is coming in and these thousands of people, whatever, they're waving their palm branches, this king's coming in, this king Jesus, and they're all amped up, they're excited. Matthew 21.10 says that there were some that didn't even know who he was. They actually said, who is this guy? Who is this man? Like they didn't even know who he was. You see, what happened? They, they got caught up in the moment, right? They didn't even know what they're, what or who they're singing to and praising. Now, I, I don't know about you, but um, I've been caught up in the moment before, I'm sure, I'm sure every single one of us have a time in our life we got caught up in the moment. Okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you guys an example here real quick. Now, I just want to throw this out there. If you like NASCAR, I'm sorry. You're, you're not going to like what I have to say. So just be ready for that, okay? Um, I, I, I know nothing about NASCAR. Like, I'm talking nothing about NASCAR. I never grew up watching it. Um, and, and Oh, gosh, okay, this is where we're going to get kind of rough. Okay, it's not even a sport, if you ask me. All you do is drive fast and turn left. That's all that you do. I don't know what's hard about that. I don't know. I feel like anybody can do it. But anyway, regardless, okay, so never watched NASCAR, right? Growing up, never cared for it, you know, whatever. Um, I remember in college, my buddy, he uh, got me free tickets to go to um, the Coca-Cola 600 in Charlotte, North Carolina. Um, you know, just, we're going to step outside of the, just the message real quick. In case you wanted to know, for you, like, people like me that know nothing about NASCAR, you know what the number means on, like, whatever they're, like, the race they're advertising? It means how many miles the race is. Do you know how crazy it is to sit somewhere and watch cars go around for 600 miles? That's insane. If I would have known that, I never would have went. But regardless, I, I went, got the tickets, and, uh, and I remember, like, you know, we had, we had actually really good tickets. We got pretty close down the cars and, like, you know, sitting there, like, the crowd started cheering every time your guy went around, which I was like, I'm a Chevy guy, so, okay, Dale Earnhardt Jr., right, number 88, which is kind of ironic because that was like the Budweiser car back then. I'm a pastor, so regardless. But anyways, so I remember like every time I went out, like the rumble, you know, and I'm like, dude, okay, this is, okay, I can kind of get into this. I kind of like this. And I remember like there were several like Dale Earnhardt Jr. fans around us, and he was doing really good that race. He didn't win, but he got like a top five finish or whatever. Did really, really well. I remember like halfway through the race, I'm like high-fiving these random guys that I do not know who they are. We're just all cheering on Daryl Earnhardt Jr. And I'm like, man, I'm into it. I remember like getting on my phone. I'm looking up like, hey, like, man, when is, like, when is the next NASCAR race? Like how close is it to where I'm at college? Like can I make that trip? All these different, I mean, like I'm going to go get me a Dale Earnhardt Jr. shirt. You know, all these things, right? Now, um, for a couple hours, 
I was in a NASCAR, okay? I was. I got caught up, I got caught up in the moment, right? That's all that happened. And, and I, I was. Now, I can attest, you asked my wife this, ever since then, I mean, ever since like that one race, I've never watched NASCAR one time, okay? All that happened was this, guys. This is all that happened. And I'm sure you guys can, you know, maybe a basketball, football game, whatever. Um, you can, you know, this happened to you. But all that happened was I got caught up in the nonsense, right? I just got caught up in the moment. Well, that's kind of what's happening here on Palm Sunday. You see, they don't even know what they're cheering for. And those that know what they're cheering for, we'll see this in just a second here, they're cheering for the wrong thing, man. They're cheering for the wrong thing. You see, they're chanting this weird word, Hosanna, again, which means save us now. They say, blessed is the king, or blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord, even the king of Israel. And we, man, we want a king right now to save us. You see, here's the deal. This is what they wanted. They wanted to be saved from the political threats of the foreign enemy, Rome. See, Rome had taken over, right? And they wanted to kick Rome out. And they, so their thing was this, hey, Jesus is coming, and this King Jesus He's coming, and, and he's going he's gonna to knock the Romans. Uh, Rome's going to get out of Jerusalem. He's going to take it back, and we're going to get back what was ours. Now, here's the deal. They don't see the bigger picture. They don't see the bigger picture. See, there's something we can all learn from this, and it's this. It's always easier to shout with the crowds than it is to stand at the cross. It's always easier to shout with the crowds, then it is to stand at the cross. It's easier to worship Jesus together, but when it comes to daily sacrifice, it's difficult. It's harder. Daily dying to ourselves and following Jesus the way that he calls us to. Maybe you're thinking, like, hey, yeah, I don't know, man. I don't know if the Jesus, like, I, I don't know if I'm about that. Like, I, I don't know if I want to serve and follow a Jesus that daily wants me to die to my, myself. Now, are you a Sunday Christian or an everyday Christian? See, worshiping Jesus when we're all together and the band's up here killing it like they do every week, I mean, it's, it's easy to worship together, right? It's easier than, let's just be honest, tomorrow morning, get up for work, maybe you had a bad night of sleep, you walk in, your boss or a coworker says something negative to you. It's hard to die to yourself in that moment. It's hard, Right? Or maybe you had a stressful day at work and you come home and you sit down at dinner with the family. It was a terrible day, right? And you sit down with them. Man, can you live out your faith then? You see, here's the deal. Sad reality is this. This same crowd that is worshiping him on this Sunday, think about this, is the same crowd in just a few days that's going to be begging Pilate to put him on the cross. See, they're, they're looking for the wrong thing, man. They're looking for an earthly king and not an eternal king. Now, here's the deal. We know this. He did come to put the enemy to death. He did do that, right? He came for that purpose. But the enemy isn't Rome. The enemy is sin. The enemy is eternal condemnation. It's, it's Satan himself. And that's why he came. He's the king. But he's the king of glory and eternity. Part of verse 14 says this. Jesus found a young donkey and he sat on it. Now, it's kind of funny. Now, here's the deal. Um, if they, they should have, the crowd should have picked up on this Jesus and who he was and what he was about and that he wasn't an earthly king because we know this. Earthly kings, 
Back then especially, they came with like pomp and prestige and circumstance, right? They would come riding a white horse typically and they would come with chariots and they would come with uh, uh, all kinds of men that were in his army, in the military, and they would come with spears and bows and they would be there to protect. But not Jesus. He comes on a donkey, which by the way, is a direct prophecy of Zechariah 9.9, which tells us that our Savior, Jesus, Messiah, is going to come to Jerusalem riding on a donkey. Now, John has one thing that he wants us to know as he's writing this book. He has one thing he wants us to know. This whole thing called the Bible, this whole thing points to, and it's about Jesus. So what does he do? He names out the prophecies that Jesus fulfills. Man, he wants to support this evidence that, man, Jesus said he's the Savior, and we know that based off of the prophecies he's fulfilled and the miracles he's done, the lives he's changed. See, Jesus, he comes humbly on a donkey. See, and I think that we need to just like pause for a second and not overlook that idea of being humble. I mean, Jesus, let's be honest. If there's anyone in the world, anyone in eternity that had the right to come into Jerusalem, on a white horse and with chariots and all the pomp and circumstances, it would be Jesus. But he doesn't. See, comes in humbling himself. That's something we need to be reminded of, man, in our lives as, as believers. We stand for God and we, we live for him. We reach people for him. Just, just remember, do it humbly, Right? Have the right heart, have the right attitude about that. And it goes on, this next verse 16 says, that disciples, they didn't understand these things at first. However, when Jesus was glorified, then they remembered that these things had been written about him and that, and that they had done these things to him. So all this verse is saying is, is really this. Think about this. The guys that did life with Jesus for the past little over three years, they're doing life with them. They're seeing everything that's happening. And it comes to this point, right, at Jerusalem, Going in or going into Jerusalem, and they don't even get it. Man, let's skip over the next few verses. I'll just kind of summarize in a, in a short paragraph what happens. The crowds that saw his miracles, they saw the miracle of him raising Lazarus from the dead. They're with him. And the Pharisees, these religious leaders, they make a blanket statement. They say, Hey, the world, or some other versions actually say, The whole world has gone after Jesus, which we know that's not the truth, obviously, okay? But to them, they're just upset because so many people are following this Jesus and people from dif different ethnicities, as we're going to look at in a little bit, in a, just the next paragraph here, the next verses. People from different backgrounds, from different countries. But here's the deal. Remember the Jewish people, I talked about this a couple weeks ago in John 10. The Jewish religious leaders, I mean, they had a problem with this, right? They thought that being saved and having a relationship with God was only for the Jewish people. I mean, God, Jesus, he came to save all. And so it goes on here, and we see this group of guys that says this, now some Greeks were among those who went up to worship at the festival. So they came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee, and they requested of him, sir, and we want to see Jesus. Philip went and told Andrew. Then Andrew and Philip went and they told Jesus. See, a major shift happens here that we can't, like, overlook. The fact that now these Greeks, they were from you know, another place, many, many miles away, right? They're hearing of him and they come to worship, to see Jesus. It tells us this. It tells us 
that at this point, the gospel message, man, it's going global. It's not just in Jerusalem. And this is the first time a group of people, they come to see Jesus publicly that are not Jewish. They come from a distant place many, many miles away. See, here's the deal. Jesus, man, he draws people to him. And then after this, in response to these guys, it says this, that Jesus replied to them, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. So he's telling them, hey, it's my time, right? My time. Truly, I tell you, unless a grain of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains by itself. But if it dies, it produces much fruit. And why does he use wheat as a response to the Greeks coming to him and, and seeing and worshiping him? You see, I think he uses this to help us understand what he's about. He's using it to help them understand what he's about. If you took a, a, a kernel of wheat, a wheat seed or whatever, put it in your hand, right? It doesn't look like much. Let's just be honest, right? In fact, if you look at that, I mean, I'm not a farmer or anything, but it looks dead to me, okay? But here's the deal. If you take that same wheat seed and you go out to a field and you plant that wheat seed in the ground, you put it in the ground, put dirt over top of it, and daily you make sure it gets the right amount of sunlight, right amount of shade, you water that thing, what's going to happen? Eventually, it's going to take root and it's going to sprout into life. It's going to have life. See, here's the deal. He's telling them this. He's letting them know. He's giving them a picture that they would have been able to relate to of his death, burial, and resurrection. You see, the principle he's teaching here is really this, is that life, it comes from death. See, this example, he wants them to understand that he has to go to the cross. He has to go and he has to die in order that they may live, and that we may live. The grain of wheat, it has to fall to the ground. It has to die, that it may produce fruit. And the one that has to go, he's saying, to the Jewish people and the Greeks that are there, he's saying the one that has to go to the cross is the only one that can, the one that's sinless, the one that's spotless, the lamb. That's me. So he tells them that. But I think that the application of this wheat seed, it really can be applied even to, to our lives as believers. See, we as believers, we are called to, to daily to die to ourselves, to die to our ego, to die to our self-centeredness, our pride, and, and even our wants in life. We're called to die to those things and let Jesus come in and do what he does best, and that's this, change us from the inside out. 2 Corinthians 5, 16 to 17 tells us this, he calls it this, says it's a new, like we become a new creature, a new creation when Jesus comes in. And here's the deal, when that happens, which it can only happen, the only, the, the way, the only way that change can happen is through Christ, coming to our heart, changing us. But when we do this, we allow Christ to change us, it can impact others in our lives, man, that aren't Christians. And the hope is this, is that, man, as we share our testimony with them, that they come to faith in him and they begin that relationship with him. But here's the deal, it also can apply to the church. I, again, I said this really, I don't know a lot about farming, but I do know this, okay? You can't take a bag of, of seed, of corn, wheat, soybeans, whatever, and you can't go out to the middle of a 100-acre field and just take it and drop it on the ground, the entire bag, cut it open, drop it on the ground and walk, ground and walk away, and it's gonna, you know, spring corn or soybeans or wheat or whatever everywhere. You know, you can't do that, right? It can't just be in one spot. And so I think this, this really, what Jesus is saying here is, hey, church, get outside the four walls, man, it's good here. That's, that's great. But don't keep that here, man. You gotta spread. You gotta scatter. 
And there's people outside the folds of these church at restaurants we're going to go to today and at the grocery store and jobs we work with. That man, they, they, don't, know you. they, don't, they don't know him. So he's telling us here, man, get out, spread, scatter, die to yourself outside the four walls of this church. Die to your wants, your desires. Die to even your church traditions, right? Get out and share the message of Jesus in hopes that what? That we can bring people in and they can hear the message of Jesus. See, you want to deepen, take root your relationship with Jesus? You want to let God just, man, grow in you, grow in your heart more? I'm going to tell you a way not to do it, that you're going to be like, whoa, AJ, I can't believe you just said that. You're a pastor. The best way not to do that is, it, is really to spend hours and hours and hours a day, three, four hours a day, studying the Bible right at home. I, I know, that sounds crazy, right? You should have time that you every day talk to God, spend time with him, read his word, study it, apply it, pray. That's good. You should do that. But here's the deal. You want to deepen your relationship with Jesus even further? You gotta reach people, man. You gotta scatter. You gotta go out and reach people for Jesus. There's people all around us. Tiffin, Seneca County, as we saw, Zach just went over to Thailand. The entire world, man, that they, they need to begin that relationship with Jesus. Again, all four said in the Bible. Please don't say that I just said, don't say the Bible. I'm not saying that. Get in the word. But man, don't give so much time to that that you don't get out and share the message of Jesus. Don't just read about the life change, life change. Do it, man. Go out and share it with people. It's also worth remembering that this crowd that's approached him, again, they are Greeks. And I kind of already said this earlier, but we just we got to keep coming back to this idea. They are not Jewish, fully Jewish people. And I think when Jesus responds to them, he's showing them that life in him, it's, it's attainable by all, man. It's, it's attainable by anyone that wants to put their faith in Jesus. Then Jesus, he goes on here and he says this, a response, he says, the one who loves his life will lose it. And the one who hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, he must follow me. Where I am, there my servant also will be. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. See, here's the deal. It is hard to be a Jesus follower in America. But here's the deal, not for the reason that most of us think. It's not because of difficulties of life. No, it's because of ease, convenience, comfort. You see, our culture has done a great job in companies, institutions, done a great job at getting us to like, whether through advertising, whatever, but they've been done a great job at getting us to really, to, to buy into their idea of what we need in life and what's comfortable, for us, comfortable in life for us. They want us to love the stuff in life. They want us to love it more in their relationship with Jesus and sharing our faith. Right? They want us to love the car and the house and the clothes, the popularity, the success. Right? They, they want us to give into that so much that we buy into it and forget our relationship with Jesus, which here's the deal. It's, Satan's behind all of it, right? Jesus is saying this, guys. He's saying don't go for the really the nightmare of normality in America. Man, church, we were created for so much more. Our message, it lives beyond our years. Our message lives beyond the 70, 80, 50, 85, whatever years that we're given. It goes beyond that. It is eternal. Um, I'm not sure if anybody's ever read this book before by John Piper. It's called Don't Waste Your Life. Uh, on our senior high trip last year, went down to Southern Ohio, 
Um, we actually did a book study. This is the book that we did. And I would just, just throw this out there. If you're a Christian here, you need to read this book and the story, right? It's, it's a phenomenal book. But in the book, essentially the idea is this John Piper, who's just a, a famous pastor, he, he, really, he writes this book, and his whole purpose is really in the title. It's this, is that you don't get 40, 50, 60 years down the road, and you look back in your life and go, man, I've wasted my life for Jesus. Like, I spent time pursuing the nightmare of normality in the American culture. I pursued the American dream. I've been so distracted, which Satan's great at doing, but I've been so distracted thinking about, man, the house and the car and the things, and I forgot about the most important message in history that, in all honesty, it goes beyond my life. And we can't be distracted. Right? While we have time and we've got to see the need, focus in on that message. That verse from 27, Jesus shares with this. Now my soul is troubled. What should I say? Father, save me from this hour? But I love what Jesus says here. That is why I came to this hour. And that's why I'm here. That's why I came to this hour. See, Jesus, he had just announced the arrival of his hour in verse number 23. He defined that hour of his death in verse number 24. Now he shares that he's troubled. And he's troubled because he knows what, 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 what waits. He knows what's ahead. Like, he's troubled because of a couple things. Number one, physically, let's think about this. He's going to the cross where he's going to die the most miserable death that anyone could die. I mean, the same people that, again, are crying, Hosanna, God save us. The same people are going to be the same ones that beg Pilate to put him on the cross, be the same ones that spit on him, the same ones that curse him, that pull a beard from his face. I mean, he's getting ready to be lashed a whole bunch of times, right, by the, by the guards, the Roman guards, until he dies on the cross. I mean, so physically, here's the deal, man. He's 100% God, he's 100% man, and he knows it's going to be painful. But he also knows that it's bothered or troubled him, not just because it's going to be physically painful, but also spiritually painful. Because here's the deal. As he goes to the cross, he will bear the weight of our sins. 2 Corinthians 5.21, it says this. It says that God, that, I'm sorry, that he, that is God, made the one who knew no sin, that is Jesus, to do what? To become sin so that we can be the righteousness of God. See, Jesus knows, man, this is his purpose. And his purpose is this, ready? To redeem a broken people. So he has no choice. He must go. John 3, 17 says, for God didn't send his son to the world to condemn the world, but the world through him might be saved. See, this is his purpose, to save us for the glory of God. And then verse 28 to 31 Jesus says this, Father, and glorify your name. Then a voice speaks out from heaven. I have glorified it, and I will glorify it again. The crowd standing there, they heard it, and they said it was thunder. Others said an angel spoken to him. Jesus responded, this voice came, ready? Not for me. It came for you. Now is the judgment of the world. See, here's the third time that God, he spoke out from the heavens to Jesus, right? Audibly, a message that people heard. And here, the message is this. It's pretty simple. He says it, right? I mean, it's here to confirm that who Jesus said he was, the son of God, he is. We won't read it for sake of time, but verses 
32, 36, he foretells what kind of death he's going to die. He talks about being lifted or being raised up above the earth. They would have known what he was talking about, crucifixion. So he's telling them, I'm going to be crucified. But it's like the people don't get it, right? They're like, um, hold, okay, hold on, hold on, King Jesus. So hold, hold, let's pump the brakes here real quick, okay? Talk about going and dying and I don't, I don't know about all that, right? Uh, king Jesus, like you're supposed to reign forever, right? I mean, you're the king that's going to come in and, and you're going to give us liberty and you're going to give us freedom over this political threat of Rome. Uh, you're going to make Israel great again, right? Come on, King Jesus. Like, that's, that's what you're, you're coming here to, to take over and to, to give us what we want in the here and the now. Man, we want to take back Jerusalem and, and make it ours. See, the people aren't thinking eternally. See, the people, they want a king that brings temporary peace. They want a, a king that is a political power. They, they just don't get it. He tells them in verses 35 and 36 that he's given them the support. He talks about he's, him being the light. I mean, he, he's challenging, telling them, hey, believe in me. Man, I've given you the evidence. I've given you the support. I am the Messiah. I am the Savior. I, mean, I am the light of the world. Trust in me. Maybe today you're like these people. Maybe your motives are off for worshiping Jesus. Maybe to you to this point in your life, you've worshiped the wrong Jesus. See, Jesus shows us in our, in our text that we've studied, he shows us who he is and why he came. He shows that he is the Savior and he came to give us new life in him that was only possible through him going to the cross and dying for our sins. Maybe you worship a false Jesus, one like these people, one that doesn't fit your quote-unquote needs or what you want one that doesn't require you to lay down your life. One that's okay with just being part of your life and not being all of your life. One that maybe is okay with sin in your life. One that maybe doesn't want bad things to happen to you. See, here's the deal. If we want a God that fits into our God box, it just the truth of the matter is, is it's not who he is. We think we can put God in a box and he is who he says he is, and we're off, we're wrong. He didn't come to fulfill your purpose. Jesus came to fulfill God's purpose by glorifying him as he went to the cross. And the last verse we're gonna look at, verse 37 says this, even though he had performed so many signs in their presence, ready for this? They didn't believe in him. See, some, here's the deal, no matter how many signs they saw, they simply chose not to believe. See, here's the deal. You can see all the life change you want in someone else's life, the people that happen here at Grace. Man, you can see that. But you still have to make a personal decision to trust in Jesus. You can see it and be like, man, God is real. He's alive and well because that person, man, they were messed up and they gave life to Jesus. Okay, I, man, yeah but you have to make a personal decision. I mean, they saw so many signs. It tells, I mean, Jesus, this is from Jesus, right? They saw the signs and they still chose not to believe. So to close the message, our matter at hand is pretty simple. Do you believe in Jesus? Do you have faith in him? See, there's two types of people here today. There's Christians and non-Christians, right? 
So for the Christians, we hear a message like this, man, it should challenge us and get us focused on, man, we don't have a lot of time left, right? I want to, I want to, man, I want to make my life count for Jesus. I want to reach as many people as I can for Jesus. I, I, I want to do that, right? We should be challenged because, and we know this, right? This is Palm Sunday. We're studying. Just a few days after this, Jesus goes to the cross and dies a miserable death for our sin. And we know that. That's a terrible thing. But we also know that, man, with, without that, we can't have life in Jesus. So, man, as Christians, this should motivate us. I mean, we need to share this message. This is amazing stuff. But maybe for one that's not a Christian here, we have to ask ourselves, I mean, what's it going to take for me to believe in Jesus? I mean, these people saw signs and wonders. They watched a dead dude get up when Jesus said, get up. I mean, what's it going to take for us? It comes down to this. It's a matter of faith. You can see all the signs that we want. When it comes down to it, then have you put your faith in Jesus? If that's you today, you've never accepted Christ. You've, you've never come to a place that you've understood your sin and put your faith in Jesus. What he did on the cross was for you, your sin. Man, I challenge you to do that today. Grab myself or Zach afterwards or Blaine or one of us, another Christian here, and we'd love to talk to you about that. If you want to do it in your seat, as this, I think we're going to sing one last closing song. If you want to do that in your seat, man, you can, it, it's really pretty simple, right? Admit that you're a sinner, right? which I don't think any of us have a hard time doing. I think that we all understand that we're sinners, right? Admit we're a sinner. Believe that what Jesus Christ did on the cross was for you and for your sin personally. And ask him to come into your heart and to save you. And the Bible tells us this, that you can have life and have it in him. Let's pray. God, we thank you for letting us dig into your word today. Thanks for letting us have this story from John chapter number 12, Palm Sunday. God, willfully you go to the cross for us, for our sin. God, these people are praising you. They don't know what they're praising you about. God, I pray that wouldn't be us. I pray that we would praise and worship you. And God, we would know what you're about. God, we would know what you've called us for and to do. God, I pray for the one that's in here that's not a Christian. Maybe today that they're, re they're realizing this, I, they've not worshipped the Jesus of the Bible. God, I pray that today, that th would be the day of salvation, they would put their faith in you. God, we pray for this all in your son's name.